Let's back up. Let's read verses 9 through, I said 13. Verse 12. Did I say 12 or 13? No, verse 12. Don't listen to what I say. Listen to what I'm thinking. Uh, Verse 12 is what I meant. Let's back up and read verse 9 through verse 12. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and then the verse for tonight, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Father, uh, tonight I pray that you'll show to us that we'll see the importance of uh, being forgiven, but also, Father, of being forgiving toward others. And the importance of that and how it was important enough that it's included hearing your word and hearing this model prayer. And I pray that we would take that to heart. I pray that we would uh, uh, once again be here together with you in the moment, desiring to hear from your word. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> I think I've told everybody before that uh, I don't like to fly. Airplanes don't, um, any kind of flying, but uh, I don't really like to fly. And I guess, I guess if I'm honest, flying is, uh, Curtis, I'm getting an echo up here, buddy. Flying is uh, not the problem. You know, once you get in the air and you're stable and you're flying, there's a little bit of turbulence. That's not what bothers me. What bothers me is the takeoff and the landing. I don't like either one of those at all. Now, that's bad because those are crucial elements in a flight, takeoff and landing. Now, I don't know a whole lot about the takeoff, but some time ago, a few years ago, I done a little study on the landing aspect of it. So I learned three basic keys to successful landing an aircraft, just in case I ever have to land one. You never know when it may happen. Uh, basically, I just want to know the pilot knew what he was doing when we started in the land. That's the only reason. And there's three things. Number one, you've got to have the wings level. Number two, the wheels have to be down. That seems like a no-brainer, but they put that on the the checklist, and then number three, the nose has to be up. In other words, folks, the relationship between the wings, the wheels, and the nose has to be right. Now from that, let me say this, and in, likewise, in our life, keys to making a safe landing in our life depend on certain relationships being right. The internal relationship with self needs to be right. The external relationship with others needs to be right. And then the eternal relationship with God needs to be right. And just like that airplane coming in for a landing, these relationships, they're interdependent. If you're right with God and right with others, then you're going to be right with yourself. But the opposite is also true. On the other hand, if the eternal relationship with God is wrong, then internally you're going to experience guilt. If the external relationships with somebody else is wrong, then internally you're going to experience bitterness. And if you think about it, there are only two things, folks, really that can come between you and God. One is unforgiven sin. The psalmist says, Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The other thing that can come between you and God is an unforgiving spirit. Look at our verses right Look at the chapter right here in Matthew 6. Drop down and look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now folks, while this petition that Jesus is using, uh, and, and I think Jesus, the reason He words it like this, is to teach us that, that 
when we ask forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors, what He's doing is showing us that to overcome grief and overcome bitterness, there has to be forgiveness. There has to be forgiveness to you and you giving forgiveness to others. Now the only remedy there is for guilt is the forgiveness that comes from heaven. And the only remedy that there is for bitterness is the forgiveness of heaven through our life to others. So for guilt, we need to receive forgiveness for our sins against God. So that's why Jesus tells us to pray, forgive our, us our debts. And then for bitterness, folks, we need to render forgiveness for others their sin against us. That's why He teaches us as we forgive our debtors. Now maybe you've heard this before, but guilt is a ghost that haunts its own house. And bitterness, that's an acid that, that destroys its own container. And when we are forgiven... We are freed from the prison of guilt. And then when we exercise what was given to us to others, and we, are, we forgive others, then folks, we're healed from the poison of bitterness. So forgiveness for us and forgiveness for others through us. So tonight, I want us to examine this prayer within a prayer, and there's four things <coughs> excuse me, that I want you to see. Number one, the desire of this prayer. Again, Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Now, forgiveness is a universal need. Why? Because sin's a universal problem, right? We talked a little about that this morning. Proverbs 20 and verse 9 says, Who can say I've made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Now, I've said this many times, but it's so true. There's no person on earth so evil that they cannot be forgiven, and there's no person so good that they don't need to be forgiven. And it's interesting that Jesus, the wording that He uses, He uses the word debt rather than the word sin. And the reason it's interesting is because look at that word forgive that's used in verse 12. That literally means to cancel a debt. So sin is a debt. <coughs> and let's look at it like this. We were put here, you and I were put here on this earth to glorify God, worship God, love God, obey God, serve God. But we don't do that, do we? That's why Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned, every one, to his own way. Therefore, because of that, we owe a sin debt to God. We are brought, in essence, we are brought into heaven's courtroom. We're sued for damages, and the damages we can never pay. The only remedy for this spiritual debt that we've incurred to God is to declare spiritual bankruptcy and let somebody else pay the debt for us. Well, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. Now I want you to listen. Forgiveness, and I talked about the free gift this morning and how it's free to us, but it costs somebody else. Well, forgiveness, folks, is costly. Forgiveness, if you cancel a debt, that's costly. Now, I, I, maybe I've used this illustration before, but say you owe me $1,000 and I forgive your debt. It costs you nothing, but it costs me $1,000. Likewise, forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. Friend, it cost Jesus His life to pay off your sin debt and my sin debt and allow God to forgive us. That's the reason we sing an old song, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt He did not owe because of what He did. Because of what Jesus did for us, folks, we can pray this prayer because of the shed blood of Jesus forgive us our debts and we can know this prayer is going to be answered. Now let's look at the second thing. The danger of this prayer. Not only the desire, forgive us our debts, but the danger of this prayer. Now, you maybe have never thought about this, but this is one part of the Lord's Prayer. It's fraught with danger. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, because what you're doing, 
You're not only asking God to forgive you, but you're asking God to forgive you in the same way you forgive others. We're to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we've all had the experience of asking God to forgive us, at least I hope we all have. But do you know it's possible to ask God not to forgive you? And I can assure you, that's one prayer you don't want answered. But if you pray, forgive us our debts, but you're not willing to forgive others, you're actually asking God, don't forgive me. You see, if you don't forgive others, folks, God will not forgive you. That's the simple bottom line of this part of the prayer. The person who will not forgive, what they do, they burn the bridge that they themselves are going to have to walk over. <clears throat> A man once said to John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher, he said, I never do forgive. And John Wesley replied wisely, he said, Then, sir, I hope for your sake you never sin." The refusal to forgive, what it does, it sets off a chain reaction of events. And every one of these reactions are negative. Let me share them with you. First of all, it hurts the Savior. When we refuse to forgive others, it breaks the heart of Jesus who died to forgive us. But I'll tell you the second thing it does. It harms Christians. It harms the saint. If we refuse to forgive, what does that do? It fractures our fellowship with the Father. And when we refuse to forgive, we dam up the flow of God's forgiveness in our lives and we turn an oasis into a desert of misery. Now let me tell you the third thing it does when we're unforgiving. It hinders the lost world. You say, how does that happen? We've heard me say this before, folks. Many times we're the only Bible that a lot of folks will ever read. And when they see unforgiveness in the church... It causes them to doubt the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it also causes them to doubt the reality of the forgiveness of God. How many churches, because of unforgiving spirits, have set this kind of example to a lost world around them? Can I hear it? I mean, I think every one of us probably know of a church or an instance where this has taken place. Now, let me tell you the final thing. When we refuse to forgive... I'm telling you, it overjoys Satan. Nothing delights the devil more than bitterness among the brethren. I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it until God takes me home. Nothing delights the devil more than causing bitterness in the church. He would rather have a church fight and a church fuss than to peddle pornography, to sell whiskey, to open casinos, to, to have marijuana shops, or whatever it is. He would rather have a fight in a church than anything else. A church, and I want to tell you this as your pastor. I want you to listen real close to me. A church may run out of a lot of things. Okay, A church may run out of room. A church may run out of parking spaces. <coughs> a church may even run out of money. I know, everybody gets nervous when you say that. But a church, and let me, let me just say this while I'm here. Any church that's following God is not going to run out of money. God's got all the money in the universe. What do we worry about? But a church can run out of a lot of things. But let me tell you two things the church better not ever run out of. One is forgiveness, and the other is loving one another. I want you to see the third thing, the demand of this prayer. Now, if you read this prayer in its entirety, it says three things about forgiveness. Number one, let me read these to you. The first thing it tells us is, you should forgive others the way you want to be forgiven. Number two, you will be forgiven the way you forgive others. But here's the point I want you to see on this one. Number three, folks, the way you should forgive others is the way God has forgiven you. 
Here's a verse for you. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Now we all know the golden rule, right? Do unto others you'd have others do unto you. But I'm going to tell you something. God's got a golden rule with a higher standard on it. God's golden rule is you do unto others as God has done unto you. You see, you have a choice. Folks, you can choose not to forgive others because of what they've done to you, or you can choose to forgive others in spite of what they've done to you. Now, I want you to think about this. While we were crucifying Christ, and, and I know you said, well, wait, we didn't crucify Christ. Oh, yeah, did you listen this morning? Our sins crucified Christ. Not after, not before crucifixion. While He was being crucified, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how powerful that statement is. I believe that from that exact moment on, God's required forgiveness from every human being who has ever lived. From that moment on, He's required that we be forgiving as He is forgiving. Think about the price that was paid. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And we won't forgive somebody for taking their parking place at Walmart, will we? Many years ago, the old fiery Methodist evangelist Sam Jones, he said this. He said, I had a hard time forgiving people until I made up my mind I wasn't going to fall out with anybody until they treated me worse than I treated Jesus. The Lord Jesus is a perfect model of forgiveness. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said this, and this is a great quote. He said, go to Calvary to learn how you may be forgiven and then linger there a while to learn how to forgive. Listen to me, believer, when you look at the cross and the forgiveness that flows from Calvary's cross, you ought to be able to discern three things about forgiveness. Number one, we should forgive freely. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, freely you've received, freely give. When the Lord Jesus forgave us, He forgave us freely. That is the only thing <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus expects in return for our forgiveness is repentance and surrender to His life and to His love. Now some people, I hope you don't fit this category, they forgive the principle of the crime only after they've collected the interest of revenge. You know, some people before they want to forgive, they, they, they first want their pound of flesh or their quart of blood. But true forgiveness, they don't carry any strings attached to it. No fine print, no conditions. True forgiveness does not say, well, I forgive you as long as you don't do it again. You remember the story of Peter? And Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times am I obligated to forgive somebody? Jesus said seven times 70. Now, I hope you know this. Jesus was not teaching a math lesson. You know, he didn't, he didn't say 70 times 70. That's 490 times after that it's done. That's not what Jesus was teaching. Remember in the Bible, the number seven, that's a number of completeness. That's considered what, what, what many consider a perfect number. It's a number of completeness. The number 10 always intensifies the number that it's with. So what Jesus was saying is we're to forgive, 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 forgive again, 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 and again. And let me tell you something, Christian. Thank God that's the way He forgives us or none of us would be right with Him. <clears throat> well, to forgive freely. Well, to forgive fully. Praise God, you know, when He forgives, it's, it's fully. He does not forgive fractionally. What I mean by that is, just think about it. If God refused to forgive one fraction of one iota, of one scintilla, of one sin, none of us would go to heaven. See, God not only forgives all of our sins, 
That's plural, sins. That's the fruit. But praise Him, He also forgives our sin. Singular. That's the root, the rebellion, the heart behind the actions. When you forgive somebody, you must also forgive them fully. And I think I may have used this illustration before, I know, but it, it really drives home this point <clears throat> that I'm making about forgiveness. <clears throat> now, everybody here has used the calculator, right? How many of you got a calculator on your phone? See, I'm not the only one. I can't add two plus two. I got to have a calculator. Uh, there's a magic button on that calculator. It's, it's a button that's got a big C on it. And you know, no matter how many times I mess up, no how many how many times that I put in the wrong data and hit the wrong button, I can hit that magic C button, that clear button, and it wipes the slate clean. I can start over again instantly. All my mistakes are totally eliminated. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, I go so far there's no record kept of them. It's wiped clean. It's wiped out. Well, friend, listen to me. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ and ask God to forgive you, God hits, in essence, the C button on your life. He clears your life of every past, present, and future sin. Now, in the same way He forgives us, that's the way we're to forgive others. We're to forgive them freely. We're to forgive them fully, but also we should forgive them finally. When God forgives, God forgets. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, the second part of that verse God says, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, let me explain something to you. That does not mean that God forgets in the same way that you and I might forget somebody's telephone number or, or somebody's person's name uh, because God can neither learn nor forget anything because He's God. But what it simply means is that God does not hold a grudge. God is never going to throw forgiven sin back in our face. He wipes the slate clean. That's what I'm talking about when I say forgive finally, completely, fully, and freely. But I think many times we're a lot like two boys I heard about, two little boys, they were brothers. And uh, one night after supper, they went upstairs to play, and mom had hollered at them and said, boys, get ready for bed. Well, they were playing, and, and one named Johnny and one named Tommy, and, and Tommy hit Johnny with a stick. And of course, Johnny squealed. And then you know what happened. The fight commenced. Mom ran upstairs to see what was going on, and they were still hurling accusations and charges at one another. And mom said to Tommy, said, you need to forgive your brother. He said, why? She said, well, you need to forgive him before you go to bed because, honey, being a mom, putting a guilt trip on him, Instead of saying, because God's word says don't go to be mad, she said, you don't know what might happen tonight. One of y'all might go to heaven this evening. The boy said, okay, Mom, all right. I'll forgive him, but, but know this. If I don't go to heaven tonight, he better look out in the morning. <clears throat> I think a lot of times we're like that, folks. But listen, when we forgive, we're in a real sense to forget it. You see, uh, let me explain it this way. When, when you agree to forgive someone else, Here's what you're promising to do with the wrong that they've done against you. There's three things. Number one, you promise never to use it against them in the future. Number two, you promise you're not going to talk to other folks about it. And number three, you're promising you're not going to dwell on it yourself. Now we've seen the desire of this prayer. That's 
Forgive us our debts. The danger of this prayer, we're going to be forgiven the way we've forgiven. The demand of this prayer, the way we should forgive others is the way God's forgiven us. Finally, fully, or freely, fully, and finally. But there's a final point I want you to see. That's the delight of forgiveness. Now, some of you, or perhaps all of us here tonight, can agree with it, what I'm saying. I, I've been on both sides of the issue of forgiveness. I've been the forgiver, and I've also been the forgiven. I want to tell you, folks, there are two wonderful results of being both forgiven and forgiving. Number one is, is a cleansed spirit. David said this, Psalm 51, 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. <clears throat> I think you agree with me. There is nothing as refreshing like knowing that your sins are forgiven, that there's nothing between your soul and the Savior, and that you're right with God. That's a wonderful thing. Amen? But I'll tell you the second thing is a clear conscience. Not only a clean spirit, but a clear conscience. Carl Menninger, and many of you probably know that name, he was the famous psychiatrist who years ago wrote that best-selling book, Whatever Happened to Sin? He said that he could convince his patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven. He said 75% of them would walk out the door and go home tomorrow morning. I want to tell you, life's too sweet to be haunted by the ghost of guilt, and it's too short it's too short to carry around the burden of bitterness. I'd go as far as say this, and I want you to listen to me. Willingness to forgive, I believe, is an indelible mark and proof of salvation. Because a forgiven person will be a forgiving person. A great evangelist said this one time. He said the one sin gives Christians more fits and trouble than any other sin and holds back the power of God in their lives. He said, in my opinion, more than any other sin is the sin of unforgiveness. I'm going to agree with him on that. <clears throat> Some of you may know this name. Many of you may not. Uh, a young man by the name of Rusty Woomer. He may not mean, uh, that name may not mean a whole lot to you, but he was the 244th person to die in South Carolina's electric chair. Now, Rusty grew up in a broken home in a hillbilly town of West Virginia, a coal mining town. His daddy was a drunk. His daddy abused him and beat on him uh, regularly. This young man dropped out of school in ninth grade. He became a drunk by the time he was 16. He was sent to a juvenile hall, and he was there for a couple of years. He got out, then at 19 years old, because of stealing beer from a convenience store, he got sentenced to three years in the state pen. Well, after he got out of the penitentiary, now by that time, he was a hardened criminal. He was a, a, a drug user, a drug addict, and a drunk. By that time, when he got out of prison, after those three years, he went right through the vicious cycle again. Drugs, alcohol, thievery to buy more drugs and alcohol. Uh, to keep himself high, he mainlined amphetamines. To bring himself down, he would use uh, whiskey and vodka. And in between times, he would take Valium and Quaaludes to try to even himself out. Well, one night with another hoodlum, they had been drinking and, and using drugs and they were stoned out of their mind. They walked into a coin shop and they stole all the coins the man had. Then in cold blood, Rusty shot and killed the guy that owned the store. Then they went on a spree. They just picked the house out at random. They went in the house. They killed the elderly couple that was there. Stole valuables, guns, <coughs> money. And then from there, they uh, stopped at a place at Pauly's Island, South Carolina. It was a convenience store. They went in. They robbed the store. <coughs> there were two clerks there, two women, and they kidnapped them. One was named Della Sellers, the other was Wanda Summers. They took the women out to a wooded area. 
the men raped them, and then Rusty shot both the women. He killed uh, Miss Sellers right off. He shot Miss Summers, but she survived. Uh, but the bottom half of her face was blown off from a shotgun blast. Now the cops finally caught up with him a couple days later in a hotel room. Now Rusty's companion that was with him instead of surrendering, he decided to shoot himself. Rusty didn't. He was, again, stoned out of his mind. The cops drug him out. They arrest him. The next day, still shaking from being high on drugs, he confessed to the murders. Well, while he was on death row there in South Carolina, there was a preacher who ministered there in the prison. And he came by the cell and he began to talk to Rusty. Well, Rusty hadn't gotten a kind word from another human being as long as he could remember. And this preacher and this minister began to counsel with Rusty and Rusty began to listen. And eventually, Rusty was genuinely, miraculously saved. And he was sold out, totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Rusty began to write letters to the families of his victims, begging them for forgiveness. Uh, he began to witness to other guys in the prison. He led several of the guys on death row to Christ. He would sit for hours and hours and read the Scripture. And in the days before he was executed, he even made a movie with the local police department to show the high school kids hoping that it would make a difference in their lives and they wouldn't follow the same path of death and destruction that he followed. Rusty wrote a final statement before he died. And I want you to listen to the last part of it. <clears throat> he said, I want to tell everybody that I'm fine. I've never known peace like I've known it in the final days here on earth. <clears throat> I know some people would say I got jailhouse religion. He said, they're right, but I got so much more. He said, I turned to Jesus Christ in prison when I had no place else to turn. Words cannot express what He has done for me. But He knows, and that's all that counts. Now next to Rusty's conversion, folks, the most glorious thing that happened to him was just moments before he was taken to the electric chair. The warden handed him an envelope that had come that morning for him. And it was just a plain brown envelope, but Rusty began to shake when he read the address on the back of it because it was from a man by the name of Lee, Lee Hewitt. He was a younger brother of Della Sellers, the lady, young lady that he had killed, the lady that he was going to the electric chair for murdering. He opened the letter. This is what it said. This is from the woman's brother that he shot and killed. For years I hated you with all my heart. I could have blown your brains out myself for what you did to my sister. I only regretted that you were in prison where I could not get to you. But I spent time in jail myself over the years, several different times. I felt like a failure, but then I became a Christian. The more I learned about being a Christian, the more I knew I had to forgive you. I didn't want to, but it got to where I couldn't even pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses and we forgive those who trespass against us. He said, it made me so mad. Now I realized I had to forgive you. Now the ball was in my court. He said, I prayed about it long and hard for many days. And God, I'll, and I want to tell you that God has done a miracle in my heart. I forgive you. We are brothers in Christ. And I love you. Now, let me tell you something. That's forgiving someone the way God has forgiven us. There you have actual flesh and blood story to the message that I've been, been sharing with you this evening. Now I'm going to tell you, it's wonderful to be a forgiver, but you can't be a forgiver until you're forgiven. But thank God anyone and everyone at any time can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. We are to forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
you bow your heads, please. In just a moment, we'll have a time of invitation, but I want to talk to you for just a moment. If you've got somebody in your life, if you are a Christian, you profess to be a Christian, God has forgiven you. He has shed His grace abroad in your heart and has forgiven you, but you are harboring unforgiveness towards somebody else. You need to understand, according to God's Word, that should not happen. If you're holding on to that unforgiveness, then you're going to have bitterness in your heart. And I'm going to tell you something. Bitterness in your heart never, ever promotes the love of Christ. Never promotes the gospel to a lost world. So I'm going to challenge you as your pastor. If you've been harboring that bitterness, you need to get rid of it. You say, I don't know how. Well, it begins at the foot of the cross. And you ask, you ask God to give you the forgiveness to give to another. Father, I pray for those tonight who may be facing this. Maybe for many years it's been this way in their heart and their life. Father, I pray we'd understand the seriousness of, of bitterness, the seriousness of guilt, but the seriousness of bitterness. And harboring that resentment, that bitterness in our heart just destroys us and those around us. Father, I pray if there was one person here tonight <clears throat> that has an unforgiving spirit, they'll do two things. Number one, they'll make sure that they belong to you. And then number two, because they do belong to you, they'll ask you to remove that from their heart and from their life. And they'll take steps to forgive and to forget. God, thank you for your love and grace, for the example that you have given us to follow. In Christ's name, amen. You stand, please. I can hear my Savior calling. I can
Yeah, that was already buzzing on this. Buzzing on That's already been buzzing on. Here's the reason we're having a special meeting. When we voted on that, it was understood that we would take the money out of the cabin fund for that. Well, we didn't have the money to cover the cabin fund, so we'll have to take out of the general fund. Well, to do that, then we have to vote to take out of the general fund because we're all, I was under the impression it's coming out of the cabin fund. We were all under that impression. That's the reason we're doing that. So, the max would be $1,200. That would be the max. Max would be $1,200. Don't know for sure, Ken, what it looks like. But that's a recommendation uh, from the cabinet committee. Any discussion? Any other discussion? Yes. Recommendation or is it motion? What does it need to be? <laughs> I just need to know one or the other. <laughs> let's, let's have a recommendation from the cabinet committee. That we're going to have to have a second. We've got the recommendation. Yes, Steve.